Africa Zola Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa from an African perspective coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequencies 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 11925 kilohertz on the 25 meter band to West Africa as well as DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabisolo Hoko and Figilelingwati. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, South Africa's ambassador to the UN criticizes the Security Council and Cameroon yet to build planned rehab centers for former Boko Haram fighters. In economics news, Mozambique and South Africa to deepen cooperation and in sports news, South Africa's sports minister to support Casta Semenya in Switzerland. But first up the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. Former DRC President Joseph Kabila has moved to consolidate a political coalition by making the leaders of his FCC coalition sign a loyalty pledge. Kabila's Common Front for Congo remains the strongest force in parliament, garnering an overwhelming majority of seats in the December 30 vote, which yielded a presidential win for opposition leader Felix Tshisekedi. Tshisekedi's own Union for Democracy and Social Progress only garnered 32 seats. in the National Assembly. He has yet to appoint a prime minister and has provisionally been working with the governing team left behind by his predecessor. Opposition parties in Zambia say they are going to report President Edgar Lungu and several governing party officials to the International Criminal Court in The Hague for instigating political violence. Ten opposition politicians accuse Lungu and Zambia's Home Affairs Minister of ordering militia to attack the opposition during recent by-election campaigns. No one from the governing party has responded to the allegations. The main opposition leader, Hakiende Chilima, last week said that police had tried to assassinate him while he was out campaigning. Human rights groups say opposition has increased during Lungu's four years in office. United Nations human rights experts have expressed outrage over renewed fighting in South Sudan which has forced thousands of people to flee their homes. The BBC's Will Ross has the details. The UN Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan says there's a pattern to the ongoing attacks. Armed men have been plundering villages, raping women and setting fire to homes, often with people inside. Last October at the signing of a peace agreement, President Salva Kiir apologized for all the suffering people had gone through as he announced the war was finally over, but some armed groups were not involved. Once again, thousands of civilians caught in between have been forced from their homes. 
Supporters of the Venezuelan opposition leader Juan Guaido have taken control of the country's embassy in Costa Rica. The, uh, the group was led by the woman named by Guaido as Ambassador Maria Faraya. Guaido declared himself interim leader during anti-government protests last month and has vowed to oversee fresh elections on the grounds that President Nicolas Maduro's 2018 re-election for a second term was flawed. Maduro has been criticized at home and abroad for his handling of the economy. Costa Rica has criticized the takeover of the embassy despite recognizing Guaido as Venezuela's interim president. A Venezuelan diplomat, Noma Borges, was one of those thrown out of the embassy. We are announcing today in the presence of the ambassadors of these countries the generous donation from Italy of $2 million, Spain of $2 million, the United Kingdom $8.3 million, Germany 5.6, and France 70 tons for a total of $18 million in humanitarian aid and 70 tons of medicines and food. And finally, authorities in the outskirts of the Ethiopian capital, Addis Ababa, have started uh, demolishing homes they deem illegal. Local media reports that more than 10,000 houses will eventually be demolished. The operation has already left several families homeless, some of whom have sought shelters in churches. However, some residents admit their houses were built without authorization, but say they have not been provided with alternative accommodation. The plot of land being cleared is planned to be a public park. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Well, since the postponement of elections in Nigeria last Saturday, the country's independent National Electoral Commission has faced fierce criticism from the ruling party and opposition parties. The commission gave several reasons for the delay, including attempted sabotage and logistical challenges. The last-minute cancellation surprised the country and inconvenienced thousands of Nigerians who had traveled a long way to cast their votes. Nigeria is now expected to hold a delayed presidential election this coming Saturday. Channel Africa's Collins Atohengbe has more from Lagos. After the initial shock and damage control to forestall any breach of the peace because of the postponement of February 16 polls, the Independent National Electoral Commission went into action to keep faith with Nigerians on the pledge to make sure that the rescheduled polls is held as promised on Saturday 23rd of February. As part of the moves to ensure that the problem experienced in the earlier plan does not repeat itself on the new date, the hierarchy of INEC adopted a number of measures taken one step at a time and with each step a daily briefing to keep all the stakeholders informed of the proceedings. Speaking while conducting the briefing exercise in Abuja, Chairman of the Commission Professor Mahmoud Yakubu said the electoral body has achieved 100% in configuration of electronic voting device with a schedule for when it opens for use and closes such that it cannot be compromised after it is closed for use. At yesterday's briefing, we reported that we achieved 95% configuration of the smart card readers nationwide. I am pleased to report that we have now achieved 
100% completion of the configuration. They are configured to specific polling units and only open for use at 8 in the morning on election day. They automatically shut down by 10 p.m. in order to forestall any illegal use of the card readers before the appointed time for elections. That is why we had to reconfigure them to the new date of Saturday, the 23rd of March. We are good to go on this call. Professor Mahmoud says 10 states have begun moving sensitive materials to destinations from where they will be distributed to the various wards for the polls on schedule. He said the exercise is expected to be concluded on Thursday for the next stage of the process to take off. Having moved the sensitive materials to the 37 states and the federal capital territory, the forward deployment to the 774 local government areas nationwide will commence today, Wednesday, 20th February 2019. Already 10 states have commenced the movement of materials to the local governments today. Other states will do so and conclude tomorrow. We have been making good progress on logistics. All other arrangements for the movement of personnel from the local government areas to the wards are on course. It will be recalled that before the elections were rescheduled, quite a number of states were not able to distribute voting materials as expected. The subsequent actions by INEC offered political parties the opportunity to meet and re-strategize on definite actions. It was as one of the meetings of the ruling party that President Muhammad Buhari gave an order on how to deal with those who might take their ass as far as to snatching ballot boxes. I really give the military and the police to be ruthless. The response of the people and stakeholders in the election continued to echo across the land as counter-argument from the various parties gave different interpretations to the president's statements. Festus Keyamo, a lawyer and spokes of the Muhammad Buhari campaign organization, says what the president said is consistent with the laws of the land and cannot be interpreted otherwise. Those who snatch ballot boxes are robbers by definition of the law. So if you come to a police station, take note, you don't even have to be armed. Well, in most cases, they're armed. It's armed robbery. And I can charge the person under treason or treasonable felony because you are trying to change a government by force, by snatching a ballot box and changing a government that consumes sin. And the punishment for treason is death. I make no other coloration to what the president said. The president stated the correct position of the law, and I will tell the president to repeat it over and over again. So I want to tell Nigerians there's nothing wrong with that statement. Whoever wants to snatch ballot boxes be prepared to pay for it with your life if you are shot dead that is what they call justification and excuse but the member of the opposition people's democratic party senator deno melai says the president's directive to security operatives leaves much to be desired we are really in a precarious situation in this country the truth of the matter is no one is supporting snatching of ballot boxes no one will what is the punishment for snatching ballot box if you are not injurious to other people and where a president will come and say a man who commit an offense without going through prosecution, without going through legal processes, she will be killed. Automatically, you have empowered the security agencies and the satanic characters to take laws into their hands. That statement from the president, actually, for me, is a serious confirmation that the president has to visit London again. Why Dino Melaye thinks the president needs help from his doctors, Nigerians gave their opinions on what they think of the president's directives. He has a right to defend Nigeria. And then if he says that people should not steal 
ballot boxes than they shouldn't. It was too total. There is law in this, in this land. What did the law say? For somebody like me at my age, I know him very well, that sometimes he does what he wants without the law. I'm looking up to God that ballot boxes will not be, will not be stolen and that um, the election itself is going to be free, fair and peaceful. They should start from him himself because himself is, is actually the stealer. So anybody that catches him should kill him first. So much to be said about controversies, misunderstandings and interpretations of intentions resulting from a rescheduled general elections, which though is not the first time it will happen, but could be in the fact that the cancellation of the now rescheduled elections came just a few hours before it was to take off. From Lagos, Nigeria, I am Collins Nosa Atohengwe for Channel Africa News. Many Boko Haram fighters in Cameroon have recently been surrendering, turning themselves in for rehabilitation, but unlike for the country's English-speaking separatists, Cameroon lacks facilities to rehabilitate Boko Haram terrorists. Mogi Kinzaga reports from Mora in Cameroon on the northern border with Nigeria. These are soldiers of the multinational joint task force fighting the Boko Haram insurgency singing at their base in Mora on Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria as they train for eventual operations against the terrorist group. At the same time, there are 87 Boko Haram fighters in custody. The fighters were captured a year ago when they decided to lay down their weapons and be pardoned and rehabilitated as the government of Cameroon had promised. Governor Mijiyawa Bakari of Cameroon's far north region says the former fighters will remain at the base until a rehabilitation center is constructed for them. site de hectares avait été choisi. La procédure d'obtention du titre foncier en cours et c'est ce site he says they have acquired a 13-hectare land and are waiting for the central government in Yaoundé to provide funds so that they can develop it. He says Boko Haram fighters that are still reluctant to come out of the bushes of fear that they may be arrested by the Cameroon military and detained should have confidence in the government. He says anyone who comes back will be socially and economically reintegrated and treated as Cameroonians who were simply deceived but have realized that they were wrong and are returning to develop their country. In December, Cameroon created a committee to disarm and reintegrate separatist fighters in the English-speaking regions and Boko Haram terrorists who put down their weapons. Francis Fayengo, a retired civil administrator appointed to head the disarmament committee, says he will need the support of everyone to be able to succeed. We have total collaboration with the forces of law and order. On the field, we work daily with them. The CNDDR is not a force, we a structure that was created to answer a specific problem. To answer this problem, we have to work with everybody, the forces of law and order, the people of goodwill, the administration, and traditional authorities, everybody. The centers for the separatists have been created in the towns of Bamenda and Boya. The centers for ex-Boko Haram fighters are yet to be built. That may be why some former Boko Haram fighters 
are bypassing the government program altogether. Johem Kawamza, a 37-year-old former Boko Haram fighter, waters his maize farm here in Mora. He escaped from Nigeria in December 2017 and refused to go to the official rehabilitation center, choosing instead to reunite with his family. He says he did not trust the government rehabilitation program. He says unlike some of his peers who are being kept as prisoners in military camps, he has rebuilt his life with the aid of a United Nations and government-backed program that trained him and gave him fertilizers and maize to grow. He says he and his family will no longer be hungry this year as he has stocked enough maize and granite to keep them going. He says last year he was treated as an outcast until some white humanitarian workers came, trained them and gave them maize to plant and take care of their family. He says it is his wish to use the knowledge he got from the UN program to empower people who joined or were kidnapped by Boko Haram. Cameroon's government has said it wants to help former fighters like Kawamza, but first wants to ensure they have definitely broken with Boko Haram before giving them assistance and training to earn a living. That was Joachim Kawamza, a 37-year-old former Boko Haram fighter, ending that report by Muki Kinzaga. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. South Africa has called for the Security Council to demonstrate consistency in its approach to the Israeli-Palestinian question, urging members to act to promote peace between the two sides. Ambassador Jerry Machila was speaking during the monthly council meeting on the subject, where UN briefers again cautioned that the prospect of a sustainable peace was fading as the spectra of violence and radicalism grows. In his briefing, the special coordinator for Middle East Peace informed the Council that unilateral measures, continuing violence and financial pressures were exacting a heavy toll on Palestinian society and undermining the foundations of peace. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Machila lamented the withdrawal of the over two decades long international civilian observer mission in the flashpoint West Bank city of Hebron after Israel's government declined to renew its mandate. He also called the council out for its inconsistency over the long-standing conflict, particularly in enforcing its 2016 resolution that Israeli settlements constitute a flagrant violation of international law. We wish to reiterate our call for the submissions of timely written reports by the UN Secretary General to the Security Council 
on its implementation of resolution 2234 every three months in order for progress to be adequately monitored. This council receive written reports on other matters that it assists with, the decision of Palestine should be no different. We must not allow the decisions made by the council to be undermined and blatantly violated in some cases. The UN's top official in the region pointed to difficulties around the reconciliation of Palestinian factions, warning of a further drift away from the realization of a negotiated two-state solution. Nikolai Mladenov is the Secretary-General Special Coordinator for Middle East Peace who called for leadership in the region. On the 27th of January, the Fatah Central Committee recommended the formation of a new government comprising of PLO factions and independent figures. On the 29th of January, Prime Minister Kamdala's cabinet submitted his resignation. Consultations on the way forward continue, including on holding long overdue legislative elections. Hamas and other factions have called instead for the formation of a government of national unity with a task of organizing legislative, presidential and Palestinian national council elections. Elections conducted in line with Palestinian laws and with the established international democratic standards throughout the occupied Palestinian territory may now be the only way out of the current internal political impasse. That's uh, Nikolai Mladenov, the UN Secretary General Special Coordinator for Middle East Peace, ending that report by Schoenbrass Peace in New York. The South African government will spend about one. 0.83 trillion rand for the financial year 2019-2020 and the bulk of the money goes to social services. Finance Minister Titumboweni tabled the budget in Parliament yesterday giving the cash-strapped ESCOM 23 billion rand to undertake its electricity market reform. Lula Mamadia reports. The biggest slice of the cake goes to the Education Department with 386.4 billion rand. It will cater for basic education needs, university transfers and financial assistance for post-metric students. Fully subsidized education training for the poor is the government's flagship higher education intervention. Over the medium term, government will spend 111.2 billion rand to ensure that 2.8 million deserving students from poor and working class backgrounds obtain their qualifications at universities and Tibet colleges. The second largest share of spending goes to the Social Development Department with 278.4 billion rand for, among others, old age grant, social security funds and child support grant. In the fight against poverty and inequality, government has allocated 567 billion for social grant payments. In 2019, the grant values will increase as follows. 80 rand increase for, from Dende, old age, disability, war veterans, and care dependency grants. 240 rand increase for foster care grant to 1,000 rand. The child support grant will increase to 420 rand in April and to 4.30 in October. 
The health department as well as peace and security have been allocated 222.6 billion rand and 211 billion rand respectively. We need simple, effective interventions. We need more doctors and nurses. 2.8 billion rand has been reprioritized to a new human resources grant and 1 billion for medical interns. 1 billion rand has been added to raise the wages of community health workers who will earn 3,500 per month. Finally, about 319 million is allocated to eliminate malaria in South Africa. Economic development and community development receive 209.2 billion rand and 208.5 billion rand respectively, while general public services is receiving the smallest share at 65.3 billion rand. Sandral also receives additional allocation to improve non-toll roads. Government has allocated 19.8 billion rand for, for industrial incentives, of which 600 million has gone to the clothing and textile competitiveness program. This will support 35,500 existing jobs and create approximately 25,000 new jobs over the next three years. The Jobs Fund is a vital component to private sector job creation. The fund has disbursed 4.6 billion rand in grant funding and created well over 200,000 jobs since its inception. The allocation to this fund will rise over the next three years to 1.1 billion. Turning to state-owned enterprises, Boweni asked the tough questions. The SOEs pose very serious risks to the fiscal framework. Funding requests from SAA, SABC, DINEL, ESCOM, and other financially challenged state-owned enterprises have increased with several requesting state support just to continue operating. Isn't it about time that the country asks itself the question, do we still need all these enterprises? If, if we do, if we do, can we manage them better? If we don't need them, what should we do? He, however, gave financial support to ESCOM from reprioritization and tax adjustments with a condition. Pouring money directly into ESCOM in its current form is not sustainable. I want to make it clear that national government is not taking on ESCOM's debt. ESCOM took debt in the first place. It must ultimately repay it. We are setting aside 23 billion rand a year to financially support ESCOM during its reconfiguration. The fiscal support is conditional on the appointment of an independent chief reorganization officer will be jointly appointed by the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Public Enterprises. 
with a very clear mandate of delivering on the recommendations of the presidential task team. The cost to service South Africa's debt is 202.2 billion rand and it will be financed primarily by domestic capital markets. Lula Mamakia in Parliament. Meanwhile, opposition parties in the South African Parliament generally expressed a lack of enthusiasm for this year's budget speech. They say Minister Tito Mboweni's maiden speech will not be able to haul the economy out of its state of stagnation. They were especially critical of the approximately 60 billion rand over three years that will be given to troubled power utility ESCOM. Joseph Masia reports from Cape Town. This being an election year, one would not expect opposition parties to be cheering the budget speech. The current state of the economy means Minister Mboweni had little room to maneuver and couldn't even provide any sweetness to the voters. DA leader Musi Maimane was especially scathing on the money that is to be spent on state-owned enterprises. I'd hoped that the Minister of Finance would come up with an economic plan. None was forthcoming. He'd come up with a plan about how, which departments we were going to cut so that we can free up the resources to the people. None was forthcoming. He minced his words about state-owned enterprises by saying we should decide what we're going to do, as if he's not part of the government. EFF leader Julius Malema lambasted the budget speech as a flat repetition of old statements. He says there is absolutely no plan to get the country out of the current situation. He's still allocating money to buy land when we're busy expropriating land, amending the constitution to expropriate land without compensation. No clear plan on how he's going to create jobs. No, he has not reduced VAT. Uh, everybody else is complaining that 15% is too much. Yet minister comes here and says nothing. He has not increased the corporate tax, which has not been increased over a period of time, leaving the rich to continue to accumulate more than the poor. The UDM's chief whip, Ngabayom Zikwankwa, says the budget speech was a reflection of the ruling party's lack of planning. He says the government's failure to manage guarantees in the past means it is going to be forced to implement piecemeal measures in the future. The crux of the matter has to do with the failure of the ANC to manage the, the country's finances properly. Your debt-to-GDP ratio is allowed to, to go out of control. The budget deficit issue is also a problem. But not only that, they have failed over the years to manage contingent liabilities or government guarantees. They were doling out government guarantees left, right and centre and not sanctioning people for mismanagement. Now they find themselves in a situation where they have no choice but to bail out SOEs because of the risk that poses on the fiscal. Steve Sort of the UDM says the budget has some positive aspect but is still worried about the huge amounts allocated to ESCOM. We are concerned from the ACDP side whether he is able to stick to the strict fiscal consolidation path that credit ratings agencies and that investors are requiring. But there was some good news looking at reducing the public sector wage bill over the long term, looking at savings of 50 billion rand. But against that, you've got 70 billion rand that is required for ESCOM and, of course, the other SOCs. He was very firm about the state-owned corporations, and we hope that he'll be able to implement that and implement the turnaround strategy that ESCOM requires, given the opposition that we are seeing from the unions. ANC Treasurer General Paul Mashatile says they welcome especially the allocation to institutions that will help support the development of business. South Africa's ruling ANC Treasurer General Paul Mashatile ending that report by Joseph Musia in Parliament.
Our headlines up next with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. UN human rights experts express outrage over renewed fighting in South Sudan. Former Congolese President Joseph Kabila consolidates a political coalition by making, by making the leaders of his FCC coalition sign a loyalty pledge. And Zambia's opposition parties say they're going to report President Edgar Lungu and several governing party officials to the RCC for instigating political violence. Channel Africa. Kulta Njoy Addis Ababa. Africa Rise and Shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Janowel Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yaoundi. Informing the world about Africa. In Lesotho. And I am Diana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. Let's go back in time to today in 1917. The SS Mendy sinks in the English Channel on the way to France. The sinking of the SS Mendy became one of South Africa's worst tragedies of the First World War. A total of 616 South Africans, including 607 black troops serving in the South African native labor contingent, died when the steamship sank in the English Channel. History, 1917. Senior counsel at the South African Judicial Commission of Inquiry into State Capture Advocate Vincent Maleka says the commission will probe a transaction between power utility ESCOM and a Chinese asset management company called Warong. Maleka says the transaction contains elements of corruption and state capture but has never been the subject of investigation. Naledi Ngobo reports. Advocate Vincent Maleka says the commission will adopt a two-way gap analysis model to probe allegations of state capture at ESCOM. He says the one model will look at findings made by previous investigations and the second one will look at transactions affected by corruption or malfeasance which have never been investigated. He says the Warong transaction falls into the second category. And we have found some in respect of ESCOM. Obviously, I run ahead of myself, but I can, for the present purposes, tell you that one of those second category of GAPS type of transactions relate to something called Huarong, H-U-A-R-O-N-G. It is a transaction which we have not come across in any of the prior investigations, but it's a transaction which, upon investigation, we were quite satisfied that it is impacted by allegations of state capture. 
Malega says ESCOM executives ignored the recommendations of the Nursa and Denton reports which were based on the load shedding incidents which occurred in the three months between November 2007 and January 2008. He says the economy lost 50 billion rand as a result of the load shedding during that period. There were five load shedding incidents in November and four in December arising mainly out of generation capacity shortages. In January... 14 incidents occurred due to both energy and capacity constraints. The high frequency of load shedding in January was related to the increasing demand about 3,000 megawatts after the December holiday period. The Commission is also expected to deal with matters relating to the contractual relationship between ESCOM and consulting agency McKenzie. Maleka says the master service agreement between ESCOM and McKenzie is still the subject of litigation despite the 1 billion rand settlement that McKenzie offered to pay back to ESCOM last year. That litigation still continues despite the fact that McKinsey and ESCOM have reached a settlement agreement. In terms whereof McKinsey undertook and ultimately paid the fees it has earned from ESCOM as a result of the Master Services Agreement, there is still a question mark, and we have, we have asked McKinsey to deal with that question mark. Whether the payment that it has made back to ESCOM relates to the services it has earned from ESCOM only with reference to the so-called Master Services Agreement or a prior agreement which is identified as the Corporate Services Agreement. The chairperson of the ESCOM board, Jabu Mabuza, is scheduled to appear before the State Capture Commission of Inquiry on Friday the 22nd of February. I'm Naledi Ngobo in Johannesburg. Going back in time to today in 1965, Muslim leader and U.S. civil rights activist Malcolm X was shot to death inside Harlem's Audubon Ballroom in New York by assassins identified as members of the Nation of Islam. That's today in history, 1965. Suspended National Prosecuting Authority of South Africa senior advocate Lawrence Mkhwebi has dismissed evidence by previous witnesses at the Mukhoro inquiry in Pretoria that he played a role in the arrest of the then head of the Directorate of Special Operations Scorpions, Gerinel, in the Gauteng province in January 2008. The arrest was at the time labelled by some as a witch hunt to protect late National Police Commissioner Jackie Silebi, who was facing fraud and corruption charges. Mukhwebi and his colleague Numdgobojiba are being probed for their fitness to hold office following allegations of political interference in the prosecution of high-profile corruption cases. Fanuel Schumer reports. Advocate Lawrence Mkwebi is the 15th witness to testify before Judge Yvonne Mokorom since the inquiry began four weeks ago. He dismissed evidence presented by previous witnesses, most of them colleagues and former colleagues, as well as former senior police officers who accused him of interfering with prosecution of high-profile corruption cases. One of the matters related to the fraud charges against former crime intelligence head Richard Mrulim. He insisted there was no strong case to prosecute against Mrulim, hence it was withdrawn from the court. When I make a decision, I don't look 
at the nature or rather at the type of person. I do my decision based on the facts, the facts and the law. Whether you are Mzuli, whether you are anybody else, I have no reason to favor Mzuli. I have no reason to favor anybody when I take my decision. Mukwebi also denied having played any role in the arrest of then Scorpion's boss in Gauteng Hernel in 2008. He was led by his legal advisor, Mervyn Rip. In 2008, January, another event occurred, which was the arrest of advocate Harry Nell. Yes, I heard about that, yes. Were you party to arranging his arrest or in any way making it conducive for his arrest? Chairperson, by that time I was in Deben, I had no role of any nature whatsoever. According to Mkwebim, he was accused by those who harbored a vendetta against him. He argued this came after raising concerns about the abuse of the secret fund that was intended to compensate informers. You know, the point is, I said, guys, you are accusing me of all these things. You know that in government or anywhere else, there are laws, labor laws in this country. If somebody is accused of having done anything, there are processes. I offer myself... Take me through those processes and prove whatever you are alleged to. The point is that no allegation has been put. What are these areas of non-performance? What are these areas of concern? Nobody ever came. Mukwebi has denied allegations that he received bribes from Bosasam, nor had any personal relationship with controversial Correctional Services Director General Lindam Tim. It recently emerged before the Commission on State Capture that Mukwebi and colleague Nomnobojibam were paid bribes to prevent investigations into Bosasam, which was at the time probed for government tender irregularities. Then lastly, and probably the most critical question relating to this. Did you ever meet Mr. Mti? Do you know him at all? Have you got any personal relationships with him? I know Mr. Mti as the accused in this possessor matter. I knew him as the Correctional Services uh, DG at the time. Otherwise, besides that, I don't know him. I have never had any relationship with him of any nature. Mukwebi's appearance before the Mokoro inquiry follows damning evidence by several key witnesses about his conduct. Mukwebi and Jibam were accused of mishandling high-profile cases. The hearing continues. Fanuel Shuma, SABC News, Pretoria. The Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe Governor John Manguja has introduced a new local currency, the RTGS dollar, as the country's severe foreign currency crisis persists. Manguja also announced that the country had ditched the one-is-to-one ratio between Zimbabwe bond notes and U.S. dollars. He made the announcement on Wednesday during his 2019 monetary policy statement. Simon Muchema reports. The Zimbabwean government on Wednesday openly admitted for the first time that the U.S. dollar is not equal to the local surrogate currency, the bond notes. During his monetary policy statement in the capital, Reserve Bank Governor John Mangojiga announced government was floating the bond notes, coins, and bank balances. This means that the Zimbabwean banks would now be able to buy and sell U.S. dollars from anyone at the market value, which is currently pegged at 1 is to 4. This is a departure aimed at curbing current shortages as well as price distortions on the money market in Zimbabwe. Governor John Manguja explained the move by the RBZ. The US dollar is the unit of account in the economy when its value has drifted away from the value of the RTGS dominated money supply, has brought forth 
a number of challenges. The challenges include multi-tier pricing system, speculative pricing, loss of government revenue, valuation and accounting difficulties, asset liability mismatches, and of course, negative investor But the current arrangement, if maintained, will pose the risk of costly redollarization of the economy, which will, move, which will move the economy into recession. Ahead of the monetary policy statement, Zimbabweans were panicking as there were rumors a new currency was being introduced. Zimbabwe abandoned its own currency in February 2009 owing to hyperinflation. A multi currency system was adopted, dominated by the US dollar. Meanwhile, government introduced a surrogate currency called bond note, which was pegged at par with the value of the US dollar. This distortion created serious challenges that led to the shortages of the US dollar, increase of the black market rate of the US dollar, and sharp price increases. Instead, John Mangujga said the bond notes, bond coins, and bank balances referred to as the RTGS shall be called the RTGS dollar. The bank has taken note of the excellent contributions from the business community, parliamentarians, bankers, academia, labor organizations, the media, members of the press, and members of the public on the need to establish an interbank foreign exchange market to formalize the selling and the buying of US dollars, US dollars, in other currencies through banks in Peru Church. This is essential in order to bring sanity in the foreign currency market whilst at the same time promoting exports, just meters and investments and will purchase money from the bank and collateral risks. In Harare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchema. Africa rise and shine. Africa Zorka. Africa Amuka na Unai. Our economics update up next with Tabisoluhuku. Good morning. The Common Market for Eastern and Southern Africa, COMESA, is intensifying advocacy activities in 15 member states to ensure that they sign the solemn commitment to implement the single African air transport market. The African Union project, which aims to create a single market for air transportation in Africa, is totally in force. It's thought the resultant single market will allow significant freedom of air transport on the continent. The project was initially launched by EU leaders in January last year. However, so far, only six member countries of the 21 free trade area, Rwanda, Kenya, Egypt, Ethiopia, Eswatini and Zimbabwe, have signed the commitment. South African economists have welcomed government's decision to strengthen South African revenue services, its team and IT systems. Finance Minister Tito Mboweni made the announcement during his maiden budget speech in the National Assembly on Wednesday. Last year, there were concerns that the tax collector system would not be able to cope in the future, as the Nugent Commission of Inquiry investigated tax administration and governance at the Revenue Service. Mbawene says a new commissioner will be appointed in the coming weeks. Financial experts are meanwhile urging South African government to focus heavily on job creation in order to grow the economy. Economist Nwabisa Nontenja. 
First, achieving a higher rate of economic growth. Second, increasing tax collection. Third, reasonable affordable expenditure. Fourth, stabilizing and reducing the national debt. Five, reconfiguring state-owned enterprises. Six, managing the public sector wage bill. It will not be easy. There are no quick fixes. But our nation is ready for renewal. I apologize for the incorrect soundbite. In fact, that was South Africa's Finance Minister Tito Mboweni saying that there are no quick fixes to assist with the recovery of South Africa's economy and that 2019 budget is built on six points. The Kenya Revenue Authority says it's scheming through bank records and transaction details of utility firms with the hope of roping in additional 66,000 landlords into the tax net in the next three years. The tax man is banking on the third-party information gathered on its data warehouses and a business intelligence platform to catch tax-evading property owners. KRA, which has largely underperformed revenue targets since the link to third-party systems largely helped it recruit 58.9 real estate owners between July 2015 and July 2018, narrowly missing its target of 60,000 new landlords in the period. South Korean multinational conglomerate Samsung has unveiled a foldable smartphone, the Galaxy Fold, alongside a 5G Galaxy S10 handset and three other Galaxy S10 mobiles. The Fold will go on sale in just over two months, earlier than expected. Samsung says that the Galaxy Fold will open up to create an 18.5-centimeter tablet-like display and would be able to run up to three apps at once. It says that WhatsApp, Facebook, YouTube and Microsoft Office would be optimized to suit the new form factor. In addition, Samsung says that the phone contains six cameras, three on the back, two on the side, one on the inside, one on the front rather, to ensure it could take photos however you hold it. The U.S. dollar is trading at 359.98 Nigerian Nara, 10.38 Botswana Pula, 99.48 Kenyan Shilling, and at 11.89 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 3.71 Brazilian Roll, 65.69 Russian Ruble, 7.15 Indian Rupee, 6.72 Chinese Yuan, and 14.4 South African Rand, 76 pence to the British Pound, 88 cents to the Euro. Gold, $1,339. Platinum, $820 per ounce. The price of brand crude oil is at $67.20 a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoku, Channel Africa. Tigilelengwati is up next with our sports update. First up in our sports update this hour, South African Minister of Sports and Recreation Tozil Klasa is in Lausanne, Switzerland to support 800-meter world champ Kasta Simeon in a legal battle with the IAAF. The Athletics Federation has proposed that certain female athletes undergo medical processes to reduce their testosterone levels. Simenya has received widespread support from different corners of the world. 
Kasa says her responsibility will be to convey messages of support from President Cyril Ramaphosa to Siminya. And the South African national cricket team Proteus coach Otis Gibson says that revenge will not be on their minds when his boys face Sri Lanka in the second and the final test match at St. George's Park in the Eastern Cape province today. The Proteas go into today's match following a one-wicked loss to the Sri Lankans in the first test match in Durban. Today's match will give Gibson and his boys a chance to atone for the loss in Durban. Um, there's absolutely no focus on revenge. It's just focusing on and sort of playing a little bit better, perhaps. You know, when you look at what happened in Durban, you have to give them a lot of credit. I thought they, you know, when I left home on on the morning of the game, I didn't see that happening. To be honest, I must be honest. But credit must go to them the way they played. You know, especially Pereira. He played. He, he rode his luck early on, but then he settled down when he played really well. And we threw everything at him, and he withstood all of that. We played. We both spin. We went round the wicket, over the wicket. We bounced him. We tried to York him. We did everything, and he. And that's the nature of sport, you know. Sometimes when somebody has a day like that, uh, and he then makes a, a, a personal best score to win a Test match, I guess history is sort of littered with performances like that before, you know. And, and obviously, when it happens against your team, it, it's it's sort of it's tough to take. But at the same time, you got to give him credit for the way he played as well. Marie Jose Talou ended the IWAF World Indoor Tour Series with world lead time of 7.2 seconds in the women's 60 meter race at the PSD Bank Düsseldorf meeting in Germany last night. Our correspondent Gesha Mnyati reports. Marie-Jose Talou's winning time was the world's quickest time for the season, a meeting record in lifetime best. The Ivorian double world silver medalist perfectly executed the race from the start. She outsprinted the unbeaten and pre-meeting favorite Iwa Soboda of Poland and Dutch champion Daphne Skippers. The three sprinters were tight level up to around 30 meters before Talu uncocked and edged ahead for a fascinating victory. Ethiopia's Samuel Tafera was beaten into second place by Jakob Ingebaisten of Norway. In the women's 800 meters, Habitamo Alemo of Ethiopia was too good for the opposition finishing way up front. Yesterday's competition was the last event for the indoor series ahead of the upcoming highly competitive outdoor track and field season. Geshom Nyati, Channel of Sports, London. And finally with tennis news, rising tennis Greek star, tennis Stefanos Tsitsipas bounced back from successive defeats with a comfortable win over Poland's Hubert Hukets to reach the quarterfinals in Marseille last night. The 20-year-old who stunned Roger Federer en route to the Australian Open semi-finals last month had lost his last two matches to Gail Monfils and Damir Zumher. But Tsitsipas, the top seed this week in France, was back in form as he brushed aside world number 78, Hookers, 6-4 and 6-2 in only an hour. He will next face a lucky loser, either Ukrainian world number 141, Sergei Stakovsky, or the 130th ranked Gregory Barreri. In the last eight. That's the Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amuka, Na Unai.
Recapping our top stories in Africa, Razan Shan at the Sawa, South Africa's ambassador to the UN criticizes the Security Council and Cameroon yet to build planned rehab centers for former Boko Haram fighters. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutsura Magadza and Khomutsu Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.org, WhatsApp on 277-63-003327 or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. I'm taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa is Huma Sekela with a song titled Tumamina. Okay. 